Welcome back to the Warhorse Podcast, Episode 7, Season 2, Lucky Number 7. It's going to be a good episode. For subscribers and avid absorbers, you will, in, rec- in f- coming weeks, be subjected to a, a profligacy of output because uh, I have had to obviously tone back the, the frequency of these episodes in uh, working multiple jobs and raising two kids and writing this book, which uh, as mentioned, is now off to its beta readers. But before we get into that, I will confirm with you that I am surrounded by variety of ad hoc and bespoke weaponry. The door to the shop is open, so we will be hopefully blessed with the bird language such that it might uh, undergird the sloppiness uh, in our attempts at communication here. This episode is going to treat what is now called the UAP. This is Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena. It was aerial, and it would often be presented as UFO slash UAP. This is a realm... um, natural to the warhorse for its 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 conspiratorial aspects uh, the vast spurgery which is available and the um, intense uh, almost penultimate uncertainism involved in the topic, the culture, and this culture is evolving rapidly. And you'll see how I believe this ties in, not just tangentially, but in a a central manner. We will be speaking a little bit about Father Seraphim Rose. I've got a couple of interesting stories to tell. Uh, We're going to go into brief brief history I'm not an expert nor do I care to be I like I prefer prefer to keep moving first um, you know now that this the next book is off to the beta readers I have this fleeting I know it's fleeting but there's a sense of relief There's a weight, proverbial 
weight lifted from my shoulders. I have tried in this round to send, to select, to, and it, it's, a, it's an honorific sort of thing in a way, but it's also calculated, you know, you just made a baby, you're not going to th- drop this baby off at uh, the first house on the block. But it's also not just about, you can't send it to your friends. You know, you can send it to acquaintances and online actually makes this much easier because you can be online friends with someone and be genuine friends more than acquaintances and, you know, have genuine respect and care for those people. But because you maybe have never met, there's still a buffer zone there, which I think is appropriate for this this exercise, and I have selected two um, individuals with roughly um, equal, like, literacy and probably technical competency, but I think wildly different backgrounds and worldviews, yet both of them uh, are are absorbers, which tells you something about the nature of this podcast, which leads me to a moment of transparency. <clears throat> For those of you who have made it through the first season. There was a moment in those early episodes where I said, I am of a certain category of person who will say things sometimes simply to work them out or to offer them up so that others will fight about them to work them out. And it's not manipulative. It's... um, there's another type of, you know, another category of person where this is done consciously and uh, in terms of the, the big five personalities, I'm not really sure which one that is. The logician is um, I think driven more towards like this total comprehensive understanding. So it it's not good enough Sometimes, right, like life, that's, that's maybe the struggle of this particular personality type is um, there's just not enough time. There's not enough books. There's not enough movies, albums, discussions, um, and there never will be. This, too, enters into the book Abstract Operator, of course, this, um, this dilemma, because it, in the way that probably... The big 15 personalities could be fractalized out such that we all have little bits and pieces of them. This is a problem that everybody shares and we especially share it now in this totally commodified and alienated damn near transhumanist uh, civilization moment. 
So if you did listen to that episode, you may recall me mentioning something like this. What I did not mention is that, and I did, I did uh, touch on this in the last episode. My methodology for running through season one was more or less to isolate myself, oftentimes in front of a Mexican restaurant for some reason that will, I'm sure, in the retro causality of existence that is now emerging as a feature, uh, that will all become clear. It's not clear to me. A big part of this is just the jumping off. So the protocol was to, once again, work out, hydrate, get a snack, sit in the war horse, have a couple of bullet points, and... Um, really get to the point where it becomes as if you are a part of me and that's who I'm speaking to. And so we can imagine with such a, a you know, self-centered, uh, or let's say, you know, maybe that's a little harsh, but um, isolative, I think that's maybe a word, um, endeavor, you know, it's not exactly gonna gonna grab the audience that maybe the um, the large-breasted um, and lithe red scare girls garner, um, but I think that it will result in something vastly more interesting, and this is the the transparent moment. There was in the back of my mind something like esoteric survivalism. And I had been working on this for the better part of a decade. And it has all of these avenues and offshoots and branches that it it's a field, if you will, that's, it's not yet, and I hope, and it by nature should never be compartmentalized. If understood properly, its, its implications are, are infinite insofar as what we're really dealing with is how do, if that's what we're living in, how do you manage that? Do you simply uh, get popular mechanics and a couple other subscriptions and um, cable television and inform yourself and then go out like a tulpa, a golem, and proceed through the world until maybe your your hormonal drives cease and then you look again and the programming will change and the algorithm will adjust for your age and then tell you what to do now. Because this is the world that we actually live in. We actually live in and it has been like this for quite some time. It's only now that I think the data sets are large enough, the algorithms are refined enough, though that was probably already there. And the tools for the analysis and then the distribution of that intelligence to those who can pay the price for it or who can own the AI, the various systems 
which I suppose will begin as sort of quasi-public competition in the not in probably in the near future, in the very near future. Instead of doing that, if that's what you want to do, I doubt you're listening to this podcast. I doubt you care what some uh, beleaguered, middle-aged, tracking novelist, uh, you know, has to say about it. Uh, somebody whose focus is survival uh, at root and branch. And not in the, uh, you know, there were suggestions. Maybe you could, uh, you know, grab yourself a little Alex Jones store and sell survival products. I mean, I probably, I should, you know, but again, there's not enough time to actually manage something like a pursuit of truth and, you know, be out there grifting and uh, whatever, funneling traffic to buy some shit. This is frankly how we got in the problem. And, um, right, we already know that we're not going to solve the problem uh, at the same level at which the, the problem was created. So, the protocols that I took led to this, it's not channeling in any way. It's simply trying to reach a state of flow. So central to this book, Abstract Operator, is this concept and this practice of flow. I think that this, you'll see it out there being relegated as always and sold and why do we think this is why is it sold to people who would google something like um human performance you know it's there's some overlap that we are interested in for sure for the most part this is going to be sold to strivers this is going to be sold to people who have tasted wealth and want fucking more obviously All the while, you know, you still today, um, you could move to some isolated beach in the absolute middle of nowhere. And if you were, even with, you could take a little bit of gear. I mean, what are we trying to do? Like win a TV show? No. But you could go there and literally live off fish and seaweed and rainwater. And your human performance would be vastly greater than any fuckface on Wall Street or Silicon Valley or uh, in the Hollywood Hills for that matter or on, on, an, on an NBA court. The question would be, you know, what are you performing for? You're performing for Moloch, dude. <laughs> We're so deep into the spiral uh, feedback loops that, um, you know, that we're actually calling at least one feature of the AI, um, you know, rollout. Is this really going to be stopped? 
do you have any faith at all that um, Elon Musk or Altman or this, uh, I, I don't want to insult the guy, but you know who I'm talking about, Elizer, like, I mean, I find myself thinking of Dale Cooper and that level of, you know, bureaucratic law enforcement competency that once was and um, in realizing, no. Maybe, maybe we'll have some pleasant surprises, as I always like to remind myself, perhaps God will intervene, you know, or other, uh, some other form of intelligence will intervene, and it won't be that bad. I've moved away largely from the notion that, you know, uh, circumstances will allow for, for, you know, the purge night, whatever, uh, CW2, um, in many ways, you know, we're, we're, it'll peak, it'll get, I'm sure it'll get worse, but, um, we're already at a state where, you know, anarcho tyranny is in absolute full effect. And you have to make choices at the practical push pull level, uh, to avoid getting wrapped up in those snares. So what does that, what does that cost? A lot of ways to approach those costs. So once again, coiling back here, the purpose of the protocols of season one was to arrive, to flesh out uh, a something like it, it's not a system you know it's nothing like that it's a, not even a set of principles it's an it's like an anti-system but even that is itself a form of system it was to simply flesh out a number of ideas and then find the linkages between them such that i could elucidate for my sons how do I really do it? How do I really get by day to day now? And what would be the roots of those coping strategies? Were they to be unearthed and then um, observed and analyzed and communicated? And therein, my hope was to find something like I, I wouldn't dare to presume anything beyond a, a skeletal sort of psychic structure. So that is what I've, I've been working on for the past eight months started in October it's now whatever seven months and um, it you know probably had to dive into 40 or 60 different books uh, pull out 
a whole bunch of other books and um, you know stop and start and check this out and so along the way it occurred to me that if consciousness is the fundamental and everything else space and time its objects are artifacts of this experience that these conditions would lend themselves to obviously some sort of mode of administering one's own life beyond the scattershot and vague, disjointed presentations, both of organized religion, which are scrambling to hold their ground at a time when the very fabric of reality is unfolding. And you would think that it would kind of be the opposite. You would think that if you believed in something and we're now going to be put to the fucking test. Having found myself in these exact situations where people are watching and all of a sudden the sticks and bricks have fallen into place such that you're in the arena. If that were the case, you would imagine and mark my words, within fucking 10 days, uh, I'm sure it's already happening. I'm not attempting to suggest that anything at all or anybody hangs on my words. Um, but I just would not be surprised if some of the sharper tacks at like social media and just media levels in general will begin to adopt that angle. Well, we're not, we're not concerned. But um, I, I would have a hard time believing anybody, anybody telling me that you're not concerned at this point about something. Including uh, organized mass religion. Including every aspect of government, every aspect of social organization, individuals. We've talked about the Manor Bund and the gang level, and there too, this project of the Warhorse was intended to undergird even that. Because of course, you know, how far do we want to trace back the the infinite regression. Well, we're, we're, we're social creatures. Our, our natural tribes are roughly 120 people. And we tend to send the warrior off to the perimeter, the periphery. And um, other types of characters will remain to hold the center. Why? 
what is at the perimeter. And uh, even if we answered that question, would any of it still work given what we've become? We say that we're almost transhumanist. That's not an issue of standing in line until they drop the, uh, the Gary Busey helmet protector, protector, protector onto your skull and then you are now in the club. You're already in the club. So am I. So is everybody you know. So that was the actual aim. If consciousness is primary, and that's really what I have to go on. So from there, I know I can jump up to grab some, some few, but, but maybe profoundly useful tidbits from bleeding, cutting-edge science. Mostly, I'm going to arrive back at, you know, perennial, traditional, ancient wisdoms. And then I'm going to have to sort out various dogmas and add-ons, interpretations, typologies... To, to boil down to something on, upon which I can not just build. I mean, I'm 47 years old. How old are you? But configure in such a way that it might be useful for my fellow human beings and in particular my children, which at this point number two And one of the sort of paradoxical places where, that you cannot get away from, whether it's Gurdjieff or Jung or Jesus Christ or uh, Bodhidharma or Shiva Sirens for that matter, um, is this feature of the inescapable experience of the material, you know, the external. Our words tie us back to this constantly. All of our modes of being, interaction, tie us back to this. And it's kind of, at first glance, when you go through that, I think it does feel counterintuitive, maybe is the word. But then you, at least those that I've spoken to in myself, you realize that the mold or something like what I've called the mold is actually standing in, in the way of even parsing out what would be counterintuitive or intuitive. So would it actually, you know, without... Uh, splitting too many hairs here the point is 
practices rooted into the body and not the mind necessarily I, you know you can't what where's the separation that there is no actual separation but i would say that writing and philosophy are in large part you know exercises performed at their the way that we understand them is exercises of the mind um you hear these terms like embodied writing i'm sure hell maybe people will say that abstract operator is embodied philosophy i i doubt it i doubt i doubt the reach will will, will hit those particular characters who would formulate such a thing but they i think they would be right maybe because while there are many cautions away from let's just say it um astral projection you know this is what seraphim rose seems to be talking about in all of his cautionary tales about the new world order and and what have you which if it's not clear i do not adhere to the writings or interpretations of father seraphim rose nor do i adhere to blindly to you know the church fathers in general we have this thing which is given and this is this this is this an example at least of this effort of of parsing and sorting and parsing and sorting and parsing and sorting and seeing if the pile of elements that you've gathered do form coherence or not finding that they don't and returning you know to hunt down something else but there is a concept called discernment, which is not, it is that, the, as you most likely think of this, this word, this is also a, a particular specialized spiritual um, skill that should be attained. There's, there's a lot to it more than that and so it is interesting that 99 out of 100 people will have no idea that there is not it's not just among other powers you know we have this tendency to immediately jump to like whatever speaking in tongues and being a prophet or something walking through walls and this is in the last episode I was talking about these smearings that happen between in the transfers, the transfers. And uh, this is an area where where I think much is lost. So I'm going to take a break and in set two, we will pick up with discernment. So discernment again is a specific concept that is developed probably in every religion but but certainly in catholicism and orthodoxy and uh watered down through this constant smearing process into something like good judgment the reason it is 
I think, located in under this under the category of of the spiritual more properly is because as mentioned as has been consistent throughout both seasons of the warhorse uh it's not just that the war is spiritual it's that there is nothing that is not spiritual and we have so thoroughly saturated ourselves in a convoluted and simply false lifestyle, civilization, worldview, mode of being, what have you, that um, that we live with this completely ridiculous distinction there is no distinction so in the book what i'm calling this is ultra nature may not be the best term i'm not it was the best i could i could come up with to say there there is not you know natural philosophy and metaphysics and you can if that helps you fine you know but it's a fault it's a human-made construct I think that orthodoxy is the closest thing that we have to, and you may know this, but if you are baptized into the Catholic Church, you don't have to get rebaptized to join the Orthodox Church. You just have a chat with the priest, tell him you're coming on in, that's good. There's this it's mostly politics, you know? And, um, and in reality, a large, massive portion of religion is simply politics. It's simply the management of human groups. And to say, you know, the, lib, the libtards are somewhat, they, ha they are onto something. I mean, it's just that, you know, everyone's got their back up against the wall now, and the, uh, the the ultimate core division has continued to such a degree that anything like, uh, you know, setting your sword down or proceeding into dialogue in earnest is complete fantasy. But there is such thing as the exoteric church and the esoteric church. And that has always been the case. It's the case with orthodoxy. Do I know that because I went and found the, uh, the esoteric branch? No. Another guy did. And uh, I made a comment on this in, a, in, a, in answer to a, a Patreon question. This guy, Robin Amos, has a book called Inner Christianity. It's tough to get through. I think, um, is it George or just Georg? I don't know. Moriev, Moriev, something like that, who wrote uh, three books called Gnosis. I'm sorry, but uh, I, you know, there's a lot of controversy around the fourth way, fifth way. Moriev 
if that's how you pronounce his name, was associated with uh, Gurdjieff and who, of course, was, you know, associated with Robert DeRope, who we've talked about a few times. But, uh, and, and I think that Gurdjieff actually said that he was Orthodox, and I think maybe he, he when he died, he, he went back to the church. So let's take a minute here and examine that just for a second. There was a time where what a man chose to do with his life was not really up for discussion. He would reap the, the benefits or the consequences, but it wasn't as if you had to justify this to your parents, to your fucking bowling league, to your wife, to anybody online, uh, to your employer, right? And... Um, so let's say that Gurdjieff had some misgivings for whatever reason. You know, not every priest is equal. Not every church is the same at all. I have been to many churches. Some of them you walk in and you definitely feel holy. Others of them you do not. Much of the priest's job at you know, divinity school, wherever the seminary school, what have you, there is a branch of the trade referred to as pastoralism. And this is essentially, you know, keeping the sheep pacified in the pen happy. What does that mean? Well, it really means like dealing with marital problems, um, social issues that crop up, what have you. Um, and in orthodoxy, it's the idea that the, your priest is your spiritual advisor. And, uh, much in the way that, you know, your PhD advisor can kind of make or break everything. Your relationship there, depending on who you run into, depending on what type of relationship you actually have. What is even possible? It's, it's a trade, but in the same way that, you know, being an NBA player is a trade, there are some great players that I tell you for certain you cannot get along with. There are other great players who would probably pull over and help you with your, you know, change, you, change your tire or what have you. Not many, but there are a few, I'm sure. So orthodoxy is the closest. And I would imagine that a guy like Gurdjieff, if this is complete speculation, but say he had some misgivings, he went out seeking on the, the royal road and unearthed some things. Because what Moriev turns up, I think, in the third book, which is mostly focused on the esoteric, is exactly what Robin, Robin Amos turns up. And Robin Amos went to the island of Athos, Mount Athos. This is an island off the coast of Greece, and it's inhabited entirely by monks. 
nobody really gets to go and visit. You're, just because you're Orthodox doesn't mean you show up at Mount Athos and the idea is, well, you would disturb, you know, uh, these holy men. I think that's completely and absolutely great. I support it a thousand percent. I support it much more than half-assed church going for this reason. So you can be anything you want to be. You know, you can be Catholic and go to McDonald's. You can be Orthodox and own a McDonald's. You can be Orthodox and Catholic and work at a bank. You can loan money out at interest to whoever you want and you're still fucking Orthodox or Catholic. Or, you know, in this, I'm, I'm keeping this criticism really to the Christian sects that I respect or that I think have some claim to the title. And really, Catholicism only has that claim because Orthodoxy has continued, I guess, in good faith to maintain a sort of, you know, rainbow ethereal bridge between the two. The, sh the schism, all this stuff, this is evidence of politics, man. To say that four or seven hundred years on from the time of Christ, you're going to rely on revelation and philosophy to determine is perfectly fine. But to, to equate that to the word of Christ is something totally fucking different. To say that's how we run our church, that's fine. It's your church. It's no different, though, than what the Catholics said to the Orthodox. It's no fucking different. All the, the only different is the claim on the divinity of the philosophy, which is you know, really no different than, if you want to go to the worst case, that you know, saying that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are you know, the duly elected representatives and leaders of this country. Well, I mean, you know, we all know the election was stolen, blah, 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 but there they are. So what do you want to do about it? Let's bring this back, if I can, to, to the UAP thing. There's a reason that all this matters. And I think that very few people are actually going to see it coming. And unfortunately, those that do see it coming already have a predetermined idea of, of, of what it all means. Which, dude, that ain't humility. So, I'll see if I can tie these two little threads together. The reason it matters to me that you can be orthodox and still you know eat every day at mcdonald's or or whatever just eat your you know your seed oil pie at home your fucking twinkies your processed shit that you got at the store man as we see him now if you know it's cliche of course to say we are what you eat but you are what you eat what is what you eat if everything is everything is consciousness 
there is no actual material. It would seem to me that you would still have, this is going to be dicey, so forgive me if it's um, hard to follow. I've listened to many, many other folks try and do this, and nobody can quite do it. Um, I don't think we have the language yet, or maybe the language doesn't work, but... So, if materiality, the external world, it is fixed, right? It is fixed for you as it is for me. We're both going to look across the street and see authentic Mexican cuisine. You're not going to say, unless you are, you know, a legitimate schizophrenic or something. And even then, does the schizophrenic really see, you know... Oh, no, that's voodoo donuts because voodoo donuts is evil and voodoo is here and we in fucking deep shit and that's not a McDonald's. I'll eat at McDonald's because McDonald's is bright and shiny. These people are not, you know, they, they're tapped into, well, I'll get there in a second. So they're tapped into something, right? The issue is you hear, you, you see this in, um, in wokeism a lot where there's this effort to break down things like mathematics things that we rely on things that are true and false one and one is now three whatever the issue that like, yes this is absurd and it's an obvious sort of assault on civilized society but the fact of the matter is we are we have been placed in a in a position where you're calling them demons, and if you go over on their side, they're calling you demons. They're saying you're a Nazi, and they believe that, just like you might believe that these people are, and you're using language, I've used it. You know, egregoric is a separate category in my world from, from a literal demon. But literal demons are, this is the way that the enemy is being characterized now, right? And we all know that the dehumanization is one of the first steps you need to take in order to wage genocide or, um, you know, to wage a war. Man, I think I've got myself in a, in a tough loop here, but I'm going to try and uh, extricate these, these multiple threads now. So... You have multiple realities. Not in the sense that the, the physicists mean it's not quite like that. You have an interface type of problem between the subject and the object, subjective and the objective, okay? Then you also have an unconscious and consciousness problems, sub, the subconscious versus, you know, the conscious self. And alongside of this, or, you know, uh, let's, let's say it this way. All of this fits into one category that I'm going to call ultra nature. It's neither supernatural nor natural. This, is, I think, is the false distinction that needs to be jettisoned. So let's take them one at a time. And then I'm going to tell you why discernment and UFOs and eating at McDonald's are all very much related. 
Okay. So let's take it from the unconscious self-self problem first. This is massive. I, I would prefer to go back and live in like the 1920s where this was my main concern. This was, you know, I could get wasted. I could sit around um, on the Danube or whatever and do some fly fishing. And then for 25 cents, go rent me a, a, a suite in a hostel and maybe, you know, buy a new pair of beautiful, custom, perfect handmade boots for five bucks and then hop the train and go do some hunting yeah put me back then i'll write you a little treatise you know i'll get together with you or whatever and and we will um maybe lick some toads maybe what have you get down to the to the root of the issue but this is a this is a feature so the way let's do it like this the way that uh bernardo castrop conceives of this is in terms of dissociation it's an interesting model i think maybe it's taken a bit too far but it but it's an interesting way to st to begin to map out the territory so that you can survive these are the this is the new map this is what warhorse season one leads to this is where the rest of the warhorse is going so we're not going to be sitting around you know talking about um, preps and adding yet another thousand rounds to your stash. There's plenty of other guys that are going to be that started there, that will end there, and that's where they will be fine. Doesn't matter. So the way that Castrop set does this is you have mind at large and you have various, we are a dissociative aspect from that mind at large. How, why, why is orthodoxy the closest? Because orthodoxy more or less said the same thing 2,500 years ago. And who said it before them? I guess the Jews. Who said it before them? Probably some um, Greek mystery schools. And before then, probably some Egyptian mystery schools. And before then, I don't know. But going back to our little little tease of Orpheus in episode six. Instead of bitching and fighting and stacking more fucking ammo and saving more money as the dollar is inflated, at some point, you fucking, not you, the fucking listeners, but you fucking assholes out there, the rest of you are going to have to consider what, what is war? It's an inability to, to deal with your, your contradictions. That's it. And it's taken to such a degree that, you know, this can no longer stand. So we need to organize all these men. And, and of course, I'd be all for it if you wanted to elect a champion of this side, a champion of that side. Fucking televise that thing. Let's do some running man, whatever you want, and get it over with. I don't fucking care. But that's not, of course, the way we do it, right? There's, there's an ocean of undercurrent below that of, of agency and influence that you have to manage. What orthodoxy says is that we are images of God. What Philip Sherrard says is we are a sort of prismatic image of God. We are sort of like 
the hologram, right? That all of all of the information is contained just in the shard. And I think for a lot of people, this is very difficult, but this was what sold me on orthodoxy to begin with. This was where I said, okay, it's probably, you know, maybe hopeless for me, but this is where I'm going to locate my children so that they have a, a home base to return to. They deserve to make that choice for themselves. I don't get to determine the orthodox dogma. I don't get, I have no interest at all ever in doing that. I will, that's, that's precisely, but I'm also not going to not think the way I think. Sort of like, I think this is the road that Gurdjieff was forced to take. And I'm also not going to play both games. You know, there are some, some characters online who, who believe that that can be done. I think that I think that what I'm doing is the more honorable and honest approach. And if I do something heretical, okay, correct me on it. But um, I don't know why those, maybe I do, or maybe I want to know why those concepts are heretical. You know, in probably four, now that we're foaming at the mouth, we're going to get to a little bit of uh, Gnosticism here. So let's focus in this last seven minutes and so what orthodoxy says is you have you're an instantiation essentially of of god of consciousness what robin amos says is that um was it robin amos no i can't recall now orthodoxy has its own conception of the noose the noose exists as a as a term prior to the constitution of orthodoxy, uh, if we can say that. And the noose is said to be located somewhere in the region of the heart, which again, if that's all consciousness, what does that mean? Is it a chakra? That's convenient, but I'm not quite sure I want to live with the chakra system. I'm not quite sure that that's exactly how the fucking thing works. To me, the the noose is something like simply consciousness. And in terms of the unconscious self and the self, uh, you can see how this would maybe be an operative sort of interpretation. A lot of contemplative and meditative practices as well as somatic practices, here's your body component, are, are said to you know, the, the goal is to increase awareness, expand awareness, what have you. I think that what it really is, another way to conceive of this, is to conceptually or visually, it's a little bit off, but because we have this, you know, there's always this like um, line of sleep or unconsciousness that this is dark or this is below the surface this is the oceanic this is Jung. this is uh psychoanalysis in general uh, there again this is a very at times useful i think it's a beautiful sort of symbology but when i want to again make this operational 
I need to do something with that, which requires me to unpack the poetics. And this is the point in reality in, t in the timeline that we're at. You're not going to, like McCarthy does it with his character in The Passenger, excuse me, you know, we're not going to simply make Bobby Western, um, a, a, what do they call him, deep saturation diver, deep, deep water diver, and then sort of, no, you, you and I are not going to actually don scuba gear in order to solve the fucking problems. The, hey, Atlantis may be buried at the bottom of the ocean, and that may provide us some answers, but that's not what I'm talking about. So here is an example where an absolutely, uh, a thing that I have used in my own po uh, poetics or writing had this ocean as the unknown, ocean as um, the psyche or you know emotion in general. Many, 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 many people use this. But what if it's not quite like that? What if it's more, let's just turn it 90 degrees and say it's more like left and right? We could do this with, you know, the dolphin who sleeps, again, in the ocean on one half of his brain and then flips over to sleep the other half of his brain. <clears throat> and we'll drop left and right in here too because this plays a big part in in the book in abstract operator i don't think we're going to make it to an hour so what i will do though is i will give you this piece of transparency that's probably still floating in the back of your mind and then we'll carry on in uh hour two with this breakdown of unconscious interface multiple i so let's clarify that in case you suspect that I'm going into like the multiverse or something like this. That's not it. That's not ultra nature. Ultra nature would be more like, you know, the idea uh, or the diagram where there's a finger pointing at a certain bandwidth of light. And this is what we're able to see. And it's, it's less than one, 1%. I think this is more like what's going on. And in hour two, I will, ex I will hopefully, you know, find, find the powers of, of uh, elucidation to go into what the fuck does this have to do with UAPs? Because this is, it has everything to do with it. That's where this thing actually ends up resting. That's where you're, all your wacky skinwalker and that's where demons wind up this is where angels wind up all of this stuff leads here so the point of the war horse the point of esoteric survivalism was not to you know take shelter and you know repeat some some fucking cliche platitudes that haven't worked for a thousand years and they're sure as fuck not going to work for you is that what you want you know then i tell you what Move out to like Southern Colorado and find yourself another, you know, hardcore fundamentalist dipshit and fucking die because that's what's going to happen. Or just turn your kids over to CPS so they can be trainified. That's where you're going. So I don't fucking care what you do. 
it doesn't matter to me, but I'm not going to be perturbed or send the other way. It's over. That's, that's, the, that's the beauty of the war horse and that, you know, to quote uh, Cole Rust, or what is it? Cole Rust, Rust Cole. Uh, knowing who you are, there's a certain, there's a kind of win in that. He's right, man. I don't know how Nick Pizzolatto figured that out, but um, you realize that you're on a trajectory. You've sort of been launched at a certain point, and that ain't going to change. You know, some dynamic, massive shift. No, you can be a better person. You can have a revelation. Something can step into your life and kick that trajectory. Absolutely. But um, I don't believe that it's, as they say, pre-lest or heresy or whatever to say that this, I didn't design this. I am commenting. I am absolutely on the ride. I'm on a fucking log going down over a waterfall, and I'm, I'm pointing out that, ah, that's a rock. I wonder if that's the rock that I'm going to smash into, or would it be the one four inches to the left? As I get closer to these rocks, if opportunities for survival or escape for me, my loved ones, or anyone else I can grab, if these present themselves, I'm probably going to pipe the fuck up. I'm probably going to speak on those. So this piece of transparency that I will give you, and then again, we'll move on to detailing. uh, I guess that's a fair way to break down or, or sort of expand upon alter nature is this the three components of as I and many others have arrived at a similar type of configuration it isn't good enough to just you know use the the basic analogy like you're a computer uh, the refrigerator is sort of like an icon on your desktop and um, don't pull it to the trash because you need the food man in the fridge you know, it's it's very crude, and it it's okay maybe for a general audience uh, who's paid twenty bucks to be wowed. But hey, you guys have paid five bucks, and I don't know that my job is to wow you so much as. So here we come to the piece of transparency. The real purpose of this, as I'm sure many of you have figured out, is for me to ramble on and hopefully garner a little feedback along the way by finding a way to verbally dump, hopefully in a, at least a, a bearable way. You know, I think that a lot of um, writing, a lot of this sort of approach, if you will, to understanding or truth what have you is um, so dense with neurosis and anxiety and um, performance anxiety you know like it becomes performative itself Uh, the frogs are into it the frogs, um, despite what you may have heard, they are what they appear to be, whereas the owls continue um, to be not what they appear to be. Wow. 
So that's not bird language, but it's frog language. I hope you can, I hope the mic picks that up. There are these two frogs in the corner of the shop who are communicating right now. One is lime green. I'm not sure about the other one. So the point, the transparency comes in, the whole project here was to work out all of the details of esoteric survivalism. And, uh, you know, when this project is over, we will move, we will move on. It will, I suppose, continue at least another season. So with that, subscribers, hold on. Subscribers, welcome back. So to clarify, if all there really is is consciousness, what to me and apparently Donald Hoffman and a number of other people have arrived at sort of the first major question is, it, does it not seem as if we were all given into or if you like downloaded with something like, you know, uh, the, all the proper presets or a standardized version of reality? There is a reason why we all agree that Milwaukee tools are red and black. If you're colorblind, of course, this is slightly different, but what have you. It's not because uh, there is this, this material, it's plastic, they, they decided red and black, and they actually use these. These all have to be mirrored out into a type of transcendental. This is the qualia problem where while there are there is the spectrum and but it's pretty damn small that spectrum of difference in terms of like do you think it's hot in the house yeah it's pretty hot in the house well it's it's 72 but that's a little warm for him if it's 1200 degrees we're all going to not be talking about how hot it is in the house it will simply be known that it is hot that spectrum problem suggests a lot of things about what many people term as this interface between the subject, the subject, the external, I like the external and the interiority. Um, but interface doesn't sum it up at all. And so eventually, you know, I jettison all of this for, for the most like parsimonious take that I can. And so Again, this is, in many ways, orthodoxy nailed it right out of the gate, I think. And in defense of orthodoxy, and in defense of, you know, the Frady cats that are, I don't know, uh, boarding up their houses, you know, because the, the, as John Mosby says, you know, the San Franciscan lesbian uh, demonic horde or whatever is going to overtake you. There was like a life raft of a sort that was built through sacred practice and it contained us and it contained us, you know, from ironically an expansion into what can only be called the spiritual, you know, the etheric. And while this organizes society and organizes individual lives, 
and made possible technology, it also made possible, as Uncle Ted points out, all of those inversions of technology, you know, the plane came with the plane crash, the car came with the car crash. Pharmacology, modern pharmacology came with the fentanyl overdose, etc., etc., etc. I don't see anywhere, you know, in orthodoxy of old where it says, don't explore. But we've come to a point in all, almost all religiosity where we, we seem to be sort of deer in the headlights and we are clinging or finding rafts to, to cling to. And this is obviously we're all, as the warhorse made clear, in some version of fight, flight, freeze, or there's a new one now, fawn, which is a good one, actually, because that's a lot of what the left does. The left is fawning. You know, they're, they're placating, they're, they're basically adopting this like, super palliative, feminine, feminine approach to every fucking thing. Well, I understand you want your AR-15, and I do recognize that there's a constitutional right for that. But what we need you to understand is that hurts other people's feelings. You know, that's, she probably won't even go that far, but she'll probably just sort of wring her hands. Okay, that's fawning. And this, I believe this is accurate, which is interesting if Bernardo Castrop is on to more than just a really good analogy with his notion of individual entities as dissociative instantiations of consciousness, right? These, I, I imagine these little, you know, if you see this big net of consciousness and all of a sudden... Some people make a baby and this bubble starts to form on the surface of this net, you know, out in cosmic ether and it pops free. Well, it must come downloaded like with these presets. And though my contention and the contention by many others, uh, Castaneda was the first guy who sort of convinced me of this, that there's more than just like evolutionary, biological, physical limitations. And when you come full circle and revert back to, okay, if everything's consciousness, what exactly are we dealing with here in terms of human limitations? Why am I not? Why do I not have telekinesis? Why are you not a necromancer, if that's what you want to be? And I think that religion did, it, it plays into this part where culturally we have built up certain fetters i think they're called those blinders in front of the horses where just don't look off to the right if you see what is off to your right a fucking archon who is 70 feet tall and has a flaming sword and can like drop ai scarab beetles out of his hand into fucking devour you you're going to shit your pants and you will not be able to continue your trek to jesus Totally fucking understandable. The issue now is, as Nietzsche said, we did this. I didn't do this. You didn't fucking do this. But we have to manage this shit. It's not good enough to simply go to church every Sunday and hope that, you know, 
eventually they burn every other building down but the church. And you can be a martyr if you want. As I've said, I'm not martyr material. I am okay. I have slaughtered everybody in the block to defend my children and then everybody that they knew and then I spent six years hunting down everybody that those people knew I'm taking the probably going to hell ride and I don't you know say this to be I yeah I say it with some tongue-in-cheek obviously but we're built the way we're built and while the problems are as they are. The topology of this, I can only use the word space because I don't, I, I cannot, a topology, maybe we'll just leave it at that. You know, what exactly are we instantiated into, if anything, other than a fucking dream? Something very much like, or an actual you know, or the closest analog to human experience is a dream, whether that's a dream of God or a dream of something that was was also dreamt by God. And we are merely the dreamt thing. You know, we're multiple turtles down if you if you can if you track in, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. So did we kind of do this? I think we did the interface. The multiple realities thing is more like, um, you know, there's a reason why a lot of different cultures saw some tiny little people who for some reason had um, affinity for mushrooms and yeah, really enjoyed nature, but they looked like humans and you could talk to them and they called them fairies and they were everywhere. I don't know about you, but the way that I filled in the blanks on that for a long time, which was given to me, as it was probably given to you through the great fetter blinder thing that is, you know, it's worse than that. I mean, so this brings us to another example. I was going to say, right, uh, public schooling. This is where you get this idea, well, these people were primitive or they were silly or they weren't very sophisticated, so they just made up stories to entertain themselves. But at the same time, they were worked like dogs. They were poorly, you know, um, their nutrition was poor. I mean, they were six inches taller than you and lived just as long and were much happier and didn't have this incredible uh, onslaught of uh, fucking pestilence and disease that, that you experienced. But you have an F-150 or you have a Dodge 350 and, um, you know, you can buy shit on Amazon. So it's all good. Well, this is what I said, you know, the warrior's way forces you at some point to go in and make war with this contradiction. And you can either let other people do that for you. That's, I, I had hoped in this project that um, by giving people the tools that, that you know, my research as a sort of a hermit, um, you know, old head, has proven to be useful that, you know, maybe that would be useful for other people. And when we bring in this, we'll bring it in now, you know, we're talking about discernment and we've said that this is more than just like 
it even it's in the word like nobody uses the word you know they say uh he has pretty good judgment or you might say if you're being you know sort of pedantic or highfalutin well, what did you discern from from the information sir what did the algorithm discern not much not much i'm gonna pretty much bottle up my actual reaction so as to not have my head taken off by by hr and um you know those hordes of purple hell purple haired san franciscan zombie lesbians beating down my door uh, uh, I just didn't discern a whole hell of a lot.